Will you pray with me? Gracious and loving God, may the words of my mouth and truly the meditations of each of our hearts be offered humbly and faithfully. Amen. It's been suggested for generations, for centuries, that our lives will not be judged on how much we have, of course. Nor will our lives be judged on how much we have accumulated, of course not. But we need to be reminded of that because we do want to fall into the trap of comparing our net worth with our self-worth. But we will also not be assessed as to how much money we have given to good causes, but rather our lives will be considered as to how wisely we have used our gifts that God has given us. Now that not only seems sensible, but it seems right and good. Except, except if your life ever feels sometimes like mine, that there is just not enough time for that which is important, for using my gifts that God has given me. And that may be the paradox of our increasingly fast-paced world. Despite the soaring stock market, portfolios flush with, flush with appreciated assets, social media, we are, we are able to stay closely connected to persons we haven't seen for years and we actually have almost nothing in common with. <laughs> <laughs> Unemployment at a very low rate. And yet, and yet, here's what studies show. Most of us feel as if we live in lean times. Financially lean, emotionally lean, short of time. If you're a parent, my hunch is that, that your hand is still uncramping from having signed up for so many school volunteer responsibilities. You only have so much time to give, right? Well, if you're retired, though, plenty of time, right? Ha! I've never seen a busier group than our retired members, except for our high school students, whose day begins usually at 7 a.m. and ends at 10 or 11 p.m. when their homework is only three quarters done. And I kid you not. And then they get up, and in some scholastic version of the Groundhog Day film, they do it once again, day after day. It feels as if we live under the cloud of too little time for what is really important. But if it's true that we will be considered, assessed, on how wisely we have used the gifts that God has given us, that feels to me like a theological predicament. Well, given that this is the season of stewardship and a piece of the stewardship puzzle is prayerfully considering our monetary gifts to the church, I have been reminded by my, my remarkable colleagues that stewardship is much broader than what I have said over time. I have been reminded to read articles fully about stewardship that they send to me. <laughs> and what they have reminded me is that stewardship is, of course, more than money. Money's a part of it. But stewardship is taking the time to glimpse 
trying to glimpse the astonishing generosity that God is reminding us about day in and day out. That God has given us so much that no matter how much we are willing to share, money or time, we will be left with plenty more than we need. Stewardship is remembering. It's actually affirming how abundant our lives are and not how lean or scarce our resources may feel. Now, I'm going to give you a brief note about the annual pledge or the giving campaign. That is about giving money to the church so that our church's ministries will grow and thrive. And over the years, I've spoken plenty about giving money, and I want you to know this. If you ever thought that I ever hinted at that the state of your soul has everything to do with how much you give to the church, I hope you never heard that. That isn't true. But it is also untrue if I ever said that your commitment and generosity to the church in the world says nothing about the state of your soul. Because giving of oneself is foundational to discipleship. But Christian generosity is bigger than giving money. Instead, it is about stewardship. And I think the holy equation looks something like this. Generosity plus mission equals stewardship. But that brings us right back to our theological conundrum that despite all the blessings around us, we believe we live in lean times. So this is what I wish to suggest to you. That Christian stewardship, Christian stewardship is the art of saying yes to that which gives you life. It is about recognizing the abundance around us when we might prefer to be curmudgeonly and focus on what we lack. Christian stewardship is saying yes to a way of life that not only affirms abundance, but makes space for Christ. We met Betha in Albany, Georgia about 20 years ago. I was with our high school youth group, Plymouth Fellowship, on a work tour in which we were working with Habitat for Humanity. And three years before we had arrived, central Georgia had been hit with a hundred-year rainstorm, and it brought the river, which runs smack dab through the middle of Albany, right to flood stage. And so with the river at flood stage, in the next 48 hours, they received 20 more inches of rain. And to give you some idea of how vast the damage was, we were working on a home three years after the flood that was a mile from the river, and the watermark was five feet up the house. But at least that home was still standing. Betha's home was gone. But here's why I want you to know her. Because after she had lost her home in the flood immediately, and how lean of a time must that have been? The Habitat for Humanity coordinator said she's remarkable. She came to him the day after the flood and embraced abundance and embodied Christian stewardship. Her first thoughts, she was sad, but were not of her own needs, but she said how amazed 
and grateful she was for the hundreds of volunteers who had arrived the day after the flood. She told, she, the Habitat coordinator told me that Betha was moved to tears with thankfulness. And so, over the next three years, despite her meager resources and still living in a FEMA trailer, Betha made lunches for the volunteers week after week. And so she said, I would love to make lunch for this group, Plymouth Fellowship. Now, the Habitat for Humanity coordinator understood her meager resources and said, why don't you take a week off? This is a really large group. There are 90 of them here. Pick up next week. And I stood there, and this is what she said. Lunch for 90 coming up. Mission to feed those who are giving of themselves plus generosity equals stewardship. And so that day, after a morning of digging foundations and laying sod and carrying concrete, the high school youth group was drawn to the back of Betha's well-worn Ford 150 pickup truck like, like iron filings to a magnet. And she served this amazing fried chicken. And in a bowl, 90 bowls, with peas and potatoes in this, this dark brown chicken gravy. That was amazing. <laughs> and then it seemed like it was followed by what was maybe a half ton of brownies. <laughs> And one high schooler after another, and I want you to know they are such remarkable young people representing us. One after another said, thank you, that was delicious, or thank you so much. And every time Betha would say this, no, she'd say, thank you. And then she'd say, loaves and fishes, baby, loaves and fishes. <laughs> she was a one-woman vision of stewardship. And that's because she lived to, to witness to her understanding of the abundance of life in Christ. She reminded us that Jesus responds to people not on the basis of what they deserve, not on the basis of what might be effective, but rather Jesus' response to us is to remind you and me time and time again has got, how God has loved us generously, extravagantly, and maybe this is the most difficult to own, but personally. The Apostle Paul says that one of the reasons we share of ourselves and our gifts is because so much has been given to us. And that's true. So much has been given to us. By the world's standards, every one of us here, you and I, are rich. Which always begs the question in my heart, why is it that, well, why is it that my children always have more than enough to eat? Always have a roof over their heads wherever they are. Why is it that my children have a wonderful future ahead of them, can study abroad if they wish to? And millions and millions of others in the world have none of that. And here's the answer. I don't know. 
That's why the Foods Resource Bank and other organizations that wish to feed the hungry, to clothe the naked, to lift up the hopeless. That's why the Foods Resource Bank is one of the ligaments that binds the body of Christ to the wider world. It is a living, faithful witness that I don't deserve to be better off than the rest of the world. But if I am, then my gratitude for such a position should lead me, well, should lead me to be more like Betha, finding abundance when I might only see scarcity. The Apostle Paul also reminds us that what I have is not my own. And so mission is our way of sharing that which God has entrusted to us. And you and I both know this. We know it all too well. There's too much hatred, too much violence, too much resentment in the world that arises because of the inequities and injustices from the way that resources are unequally distributed, the way opportunities are unequally distributed as well, not only in our world, but in our nation. We can't right all of those wrongs, but as the body of Christ, we can do what we can do. We will do what we can do. Because as Christians, we are people of hope. Throughout scripture, Jesus employs all kinds of images of hope, but most of them are mundane and commonplace. Sometimes it's as simple as a seed planted in the ground or a buried treasure, or hope is like yeast. Perhaps today, Jesus might say that hope is like a tulip bulb planted in the fall before the snow upon snow upon snow of winter falls upon us, and we pray for resurrection in the spring. Maybe Jesus might compare hope to a child's vaccination, which, yes, at first elicits tears, but provides protective hope for years to come. But maybe hope is like a teacher's class list received a few weeks before school starts. A seed, yeast, a vaccination, class list, these are, just as Betha and Foods Resource Bank are, glimpses of the abundant life. But don't get me wrong. Hope isn't blind optimism that everything will turn out hunky-dory in the end. Hope isn't certainty, for sure that everything will end up just fine, all the ends will be woven together like the conclusion of a sitcom on TV. We don't know if the tulip bulb will bloom come spring. Some of the new students might not try very hard. Maybe the bread won't rise. But hope is not the assuredness of good outcomes in the future but rather hope is the feeling that a life of faith in Christ, that generosity and mission work have meaning. Because hope is, at its core, simply this, 
a belief that God is good. Hope is not a belief that life is fair, but that God is good. Christian hope acknowledges that sadness and grief will punctuate our lives. There is no vaccination that will inoculate us against that. But still, maybe even yet, in spite of sadness and grief, Christian hope still trusts in God's goodness. And you and I, we are charged with discerning these signs of hope in the world and being these signs of hope as well. For Jesus teaches us and consistently witnesses to the idea that hope will be disguised in the experiences of everyday life. Yeast, a vaccination, Betha in Georgia, Foods Resource Bank, or laughter when we most need it and expect it least, glimmers of hope. And yes, Jesus said hope is also like a buried treasure. So here's the question for you and for me. Are we willing to dig? One thing for sure. Our partnership with Park Street Congregational Church and Foods Resource Bank. I don't know about you, but it feels to me as if the shovel is already in our hands and we have work to do. For in the end, we will be assessed as to how we have used the gifts that God has given us. Amen.